This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Steve Hamilton. Mr. Kyle Stelter. It's raining here. Last time we talked, it was it was sunny, but well, here we are, first day of summer, and that's that's what happens, right? Highly so. appropriate. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it'll uh, it'll make for good habitat, and uh, everything will grow with big horns and big whatever the antlers, and it'll be a good year for for hunters in the field. Uh-huh. Maybe my my dog was going nuts yesterday. And she ran up against the fence and like, what the hell are you doing? And this mule deer popped out of the ditch. That was just a monster. He's out past his ears already and a couple inches high. And of course he's a town deer. So he knows, he knows where he's safe, but uh, inside our, our jurisdiction, you can actually hunt with a bow. So where he went was uh, right across the road into a little bit of crown property, but no way he's going to stick around, but yeah. So <laughs> crazy. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, yeah, so we're, I know we're recording this in June, but uh, releasing early July, so less than a month to sheep season, about a month to the Jurassic. Uh, well, it's all happening, man. It is, it is, and month of sheep season, so, well, God, uh, that means i got to get into shape for next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going on started- any hunts, so. Yeah, I, I've got a September hunt, um, yeah. and I've, I've just started kind of getting out now with throwing the pack on. I did, uh, I had 38 pounds yesterday. I did 43 this morning, and uh, as soon as I get off this cast, I'm going to go jump up the mountain. Me and my son are going to go hike up and get some uh, cardio, and I'm not even, I'm not even going to throw a pack in on this one. I'm just going to get up the mountain. So because you don't, want, you don't want your son running past you, is what it is. Oh, give me a no, kidding! <laughs> oh. these, these kids are machines. They're, oh, they're absolutely, absolutely. They are. Absolutely, yeah. they are. Where are you yeah. gonna go? Where's, where's there a mountain uh, in Victoria? Yeah, Mount Finlayson. It's uh, I don't know what the elevation. is. It's not that big, but it's it's probably if you're in great shape, you're up in about forty minutes. So it's oh, okay. uh, a serious elevation game there, and it's it's a bit technical. There's some spots where you're scrambling like uh, on all fours and stuff to make it work. So it's actually a pretty good grind. Um, unfortunately it's about a 30 minute drive, but, uh, you do it once a week or whatever. Well, I'm, no I'm just deal. looking at it on Google earth. Like that's 30 minutes from you. Yeah. Oh, good God. Traffic sucks then. Eh? Uh, well, that's not bad. It's, it's just town driving, right? You're doing, it's not, it's not congestion. It's just that you can only do 50 or 60 K and oh. it's 30 K away from me. So oh, it's 419, 419 meters in elevation. So, so there you go 1300 feet. So yeah, it's good. That's a, it's a that's good a grind job. and. Yeah, no, it's fun. I like it. Um, and a little bit technical, so it keeps it interesting. And yeah, it's fun. So Cool. Uh, uh, so we're at episode 81. This is a great podcast. Uh, we sit down with Christy Titus. We've been trying to get uh, in touch with Christy. We, we had it lined up for Sheep Week and then she, Sheep Week for me and certainly for someone like Christy. Christy is like they're meeting with all, all kinds of different people and it just was a, and then you couldn't get down there. So anyway, we ended up being in it, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, it's great that we finally connected and, you know, it's crazy how knowledgeable she is about Canadian issues, right? Like she oh, knew totally. all about 7B. She knew all about um, uh, what we're dealing with well, the firearms. <laughs> yeah. Firearm stuff, grizzly bear stuff. Yeah. She was super knowledgeable and, Kind of blew me out of the water how how much she knew about everything. So it, it was great. It ended up being pretty emotionally charged there near the middle. So 
but it, it, it was a good, good chat. And yeah, as you said, very, very knowledgeable and just, it was a great episode and well worth the wait, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. I just love talking about because it, it was, uh, you know, some pretty thought provoking stuff, right? And, you know, we talked a little bit about the benef- benefits of, you know, wildlife management and, and uh, the North American wildlife model and, and why it's so important. So, yeah, really cool topics that we explored. Talked a little bit about Africa, the controversies and, and challenges and, and why hunting is important in Africa. I, I'd really love to get some really knowledgeable people like Christy and, and others that could sit down and talk about, you know, hunting in Africa. I think we, you know, that that's an important long discussion, but again, we're kind of talking to the echo chamber again, right? It's always, it's, we're just telling other hunters why it's important and they, they already know. So the hard part is trying to get that in front of the audience that doesn't normally listen to our stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So we're, we're a month out from sheep season. That means we're what, six weeks, give or take for Jurassic. Yeah. Yeah, well, this will release middle mid July, roughly, and, so, yeah. and Jurassic's early August. So, so yeah, oh. we're, we'll be three to four weeks at that point. Okay, and hard. that weekend, we're going to draw our membership drive winner. So, you'll hear on this podcast, Christy's going to talk about why it's important to join these groups, why it's important to have a voice. Um, and so, this is kind of our call to action for you, our listeners. If you're not a member, think about buying a membership. It's 55 bucks a year. If you buy an auto renew, it's 55 bucks a year. That's like three times to Starbucks or <laughs> pick, pick one, right? Yeah. So it's it's almost inexpensive. It's, it's it's inexpensive. It's almost free. But what it does is it gets you a voice, right? And it, when we go to the government to advocate for wildlife, for management changes to help wildlife, to advocate for hunters, um, now we have a voice because we have a strong membership. So, you know, this is kind of our call to action for, for our listeners consider joining us pick up a membership and basically cost you nothing and we got this cool membership drive that we got going on right now so you might win something and what we got like a couple grand in prizes right mm-hmm. we got a what's sturgeon, first place sturgeon trip on the lower fraser that'd be awesome if you've never hooked into a, a sturgeon it is a fight like you have never felt before even if you don't fish it's i i took a buddy of mine well don a couple couple of years ago i bought a trip and he'd never, it never appealed to him. And we were 20 minutes into the first set and boom, he had a six foot fish on and he was hooked and absolutely yeah. loves it and wants to go back. So yeah, we got, we got that, which is donated by Wood Wheaton Supercenter, Don. And uh, what, what's second prize? We got a, it's a knife. Uh, yeah, it's a knife yeah. from Frontiersmen, Frontier Men's Gear. Um, Tanner stepped up with that. So really, really sweet. Uh, knife from him for second prize yeah exactly and then a swag pack for third so um, tons of giveaways so you know if you're a member you can uh, up your membership you can renew add a year to your membership it all gets you entries into the draw and uh, we're going to draw that in uh, the second week of august and give that away to three lucky winners and yeah so you know this is your time Uh, you know if if i'm going to advocate for anything get involved just to support the cause, right? Like, so that we can do, we have, you know, podcasts like this. We do our advocacy work for wild sheep and wildlife in BC. Um, we put money on the ground. Um, what's our number? What have we spent in the last three and a half years, Steve? Oh, it was damn near a million bucks, wasn't it? Yeah, a million something like dollars. Nine, something like 978 or something, 978,000, something like that. Exactly. So, 
you know, join our membership and then you can be, you can sit there and say, hey, I'm part of an organization that put a million dollars for wildlife in British Columbia. That's a pretty cool thing. In three years, in three years, in the way I years. look, the way I look at it is I've, I've never even hunted a sheep and I just got my third life member plaque from organizations across North America. And it's, it's easy. Uh, the way I justified it the first couple of times with just buying a, a membership is I'm buying a sheep tag and then doubling it. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the cost of a sheep tag a year. What? 50 bucks. Is that what a sheep tag costs? Yeah. Something like that. I never even paid attention. Yeah. So yeah, just add it on, add it on. You can make those payments just once a year as, as Kyle said, what three, three Starbucks trips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's dirt cheap, and and uh, you know you're you're going, you're supporting a, a, a organization that's looking out for your interests, right? We're we're truly out there advocating for wildlife and wild sheep. So awesome. Okay, uh, if you want to sign up, just over to wildsheepsociety.com, and um, yeah, it's all there. Just click on the membership link, and you can read all about it. So with that, uh, we're we're off to episode eighty-one with Christy Titus. Uh, this is a great listen. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. The perception of hunting, you know, ha- has changed. It's our duty now, our responsibility as hunters, to change it back. And we've spent the last few decades trying, you know, espousing that that message, preaching that message about wildlife conservation. You know, we've it's fallen on deaf ears. All of our attempts. I think what what we have to do is is maybe uh, appeal to the emotional side or the visceral side. We have to tell our story. We know what we are. We know how deeply we care about wildlife. It's just the people out there that are, that are you know, voting to get rid of hunting, they don't understand our stories. Sometimes we, we have to translate it to something that they understand. Good afternoon, Christy. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys for being so patient and having me on uh, like six months in the making, I think now. Yeah, that's Hi. right. We were working on Sheep Week and then, but you know, this worked out for the best. Steve ended up not making it to Sheep Week because he was COVID uh, scared or COVID, well, he couldn't get across the border, one of those things. So um, yeah, so this this worked out really well. Thanks for, for sticking with us and making it come together. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm glad to be on. Thank you guys. Great. So, uh, so let's just get caught up in your world. What's uh, what was shaken for the spring? What did you get out and do for your your spring season? Um, so I had kind of an interesting spring. Um, I went to Hawaii for my first axis deer hunt, um, and that was really fun uh, and arguably the best meat I've ever consumed. Uh, in my wild game life. <laughs> it's so good. Um, it's incredible. So I had a, just a beautiful trip to Hawaii. Um, and then, uh, followed it up with, you know, turkey season in Oregon where my husband and I were successful bow hunting turkeys. And then, uh, we moved to Wyoming. So that's been like the big, uh, <laughs> it's been the big spring thing. 
Well, that's that's a pretty big spring, actually. Yeah, no kidding. Moving to Wyoming. So, how does that look for public lands and um, stuff like that? For like, obviously, Wyoming's a mecca. Oregon was good too, obviously. But what about Wyoming? No, Oregon sucks. Um, so, <laughs> Oregon. The problem with Oregon is their game management's just really run by um, anti-science <laughs> philosophies. It's all emotionally based game management, which leads to poor management practices when you don't follow the North American model and you listen to people that are emotionally charged. It leads to bad game numbers. And the ungulate population in Oregon is really, really suffered due to absolute terrible predator management. Um, Wyoming, conversely, you know, they, they've done a better job of of managing their predators. For example, um, you can bait bears in the spring. You can um, not run bears with hounds, but you can bait them, which, um, you know, is a lot of fun and, and can be quite effective, especially when it comes to selective harvesting um, and, and harvesting big, mature, old animals that have, that are ready to, you know, at that prime age to be harvested. So especially with predators, I'm, I'm, really conscientious of, of age harvesting and selective harvesting, um, especially like for, for black bears specifically. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity. I'm really fortunate that I have four years worth of preference points as a non-resident. So I'm able to cash those in this year. I drew an elk and a mule deer tag. And then next year I'll draw those tags over the counter as a Wyoming resident. Oh, that sounds so familiar when it comes to the emotionally charged management up here in BC. Oh boy. You know, we lost the grizzly hunt in 2017 based on populism. They said it. It's because of the votes. They're going to do uh, what what the voters want. And hell, was it last week you sent me a picture of a bus in Victoria, Kyle? A, a big slogan on the back, an anti-hunting said, stop the wolf hunt and encouraging people to uh, engage their elected officials regarding it. So yeah, we feel that one pretty pretty hard up here in BC. Well, and in Wyoming, they've even had that where they've stopped grizzly bear hunting and management here. And last week I read that there were some emotionally charged uh, groups that are working to shut down bison hunting because the bison are coming out of Yellowstone as part of migration and they have a very harvestable population where you can sustainably harvest and selectively harvest bison um, and keep those herd numbers healthy, and people are trying to shut that down now. So um, it's definitely an uphill battle. Um, the problem with hunting and hunters is we're sometimes not quite vocal enough, um, and the anti swing a big stick, and they're very vocal with it, and and they're very aggressive. And mm-hmm. um, we could take a few field notes from that uh, philosophy. Yeah, and sometimes we get so emotionally charged the wrong way, we say the wrong things. And yeah. that just the, the screenshots and the, the sound bites come back to, to nail us, right? When you see somebody saying, oh, kill them all, or the only good wolf is a dead wolf. Well, you or know what? The you three just, S's. You just, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You just buried us. So, yeah, yeah it's it's uh, something we're all fighting, it seems. Well, and we're fighting it everywhere. So, like, in, in Wyoming, I, you know, it's a constitutional carry state, Second Amendment sanctuary here in the U.S., which you guys don't have that in Canada at all. Um, and I received word last week through uh, Firearms Policy Coalition 
that one of the senators here was kind of waffling on some of this red flag stuff. And I instantly started burning down phone lines and um, encouraging all of my followers that um, are from Wyoming. And then all of um, the people I know here personally received uh, that particular um, senator's phone number. And like, I mean, you have to let them know that you want your rights protected and um, at all costs, like we have to get involved and making phone calls and writing letters um, is one of the ways that um, that we can be heard. And the other way is by uh, primarying these elected officials that start swinging in the wrong direction for our beliefs and really lobbying to get candidates in to power or influence um, that truly represent our voice and, and where we stand on things. And, and that's, that's again, an uphill battle as well. It's, it's easier said than done. So, yeah, that, those are really good points. And, you know, it's something that we're, like is real, a real problem here in British Columbia and in Canada. So provincially, you know, the anti-hunting movement and, and, of course, other provinces in Canada too. But then federally, we've got a prime minister that's not uh, – He's not too keen on on guns, and he's there's gun control stuff. Cha- it's changing literally daily. There's well, and he went from it. a couple of years ago saying Canadians' guns are safe to last week saying Canada, you don't have the right of personal protection the way Americans do. Like, are you kidding me? It's a God given right to live, God given right to life, and you should be able to defend your life. And that that just blew my mind when he was saying that. Um, he is an absolute traitor to your country. Uh, but yeah. you're not alone in that. Yeah, no, it's it, it is alarming. Some of the uh, some of the rhetoric that we're hearing and the laws and things are changing so quickly right now. And so I guess that, you know, with that in mind, you know, you talked about some really great strategies there, but I, I feel like we're not doing enough. Right. And we're not being and sure loud enough as part of it and elected officials and engagement, all that stuff's really important, but what can we do better? Like, you know, I think we're, I think we're going to have to be a bit more resourceful. I feel like we're falling short that, uh, yeah, okay. We can up the rhetoric. We can, you know, vote for the right people, but you know, depending on who's in power and, and we know what, what, what you guys are dealing with, what we're dealing with here, just some of the, the laws and, and decisions that are being made are, are not in our best interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we don't have control of that, you know, I think if as gun owners or, you know, hunters, if we just got our act together and started singing from the same song sheet, we'd do a heck of a lot better. But we, we seem to struggle in that area. And, and you've seen it, you've been in the community long enough um, to have seen it. Like, where's this disconnect? And because these things are all near and dear to us and they're kind of, we're kind of losing in some pretty big things pretty quickly, certainly here in Canada. But uh, thoughts on that? It's crazy. If you look at some of the policies um, and the the talking points or narratives that these groups come up with, whether it's something you're hearing on uh, mainstream news or in an anti-hunting forum, they come up with like a, a sheet of talking points and these people lockstep and they preach the same narrative. And as the narrative evolves, their dialogue evolves, but it's so synergistic. Um, and it's really, it's really strange to me how um, the conservatives and, and science-based wildlife management model 
individuals. We just haven't done that. Um, we haven't talked about the good that comes from guns, like how in, in the United States, the Pittman-Robertson Act is funding a majority of conservation efforts nationwide. Um, and so you don't talk about and you don't see these things that are like, hey, guns do good things. Let's talk about that. Hunters double down when they buy hunting licenses and tags by funding 75% of statewide conservation budgets in the United States. I'm not sure how that works in Canada. I would presume it's pretty similar. And then on top of that, we're funding tourism in just a tremendous area where it's like rural communities that don't have a lot of industry, don't have a lot of jobs, where jobs creating and fueling economies that without us wouldn't even exist. And somehow we just managed to foobar this and not all preach the same uh, same tune and not even that's not even talking about the North American model of wildlife conservation, which is uh, to this day in history, the most effective model of wildlife conservation. And it is the model that um, the rest of the world aspires to kind of replicate. Um, and, but we're just terrible at telling the story about how we are true stewards of the land and the true first crusaders of conservation. And um, I think a lot of it is is people don't understand how hunting is conservation in the first place. And um, it's just getting people interested because it's not exactly the sexiest topic um, <laughs> unless, unless you find some emotional attachment to it. And, and I think we have to take the fact that we take our rights for granted right now. And as we see them slip away, um, we become more in tuned with the value of them. I mean, I think we saw it a lot with COVID too, where we weren't able to travel between Canada and the US. We weren't able to travel internationally the way we have in the past. We were locked down. And if you didn't live in an area where you had access to public land or wild places or spaces, it was a suffocating, emotionally debilitating time that really affected a lot of people and communities. Um, and it just teaches us how valuable um, what we have is, and it is worth defending. Yeah, and you know, there's so many things I want to touch on there, but the one thing I want to hit on first and the point that you brought up is, you know, this lockstep and the synergistic view. I, I don't know how what you said there, but it was a great word um, and that, that the sort of the anti-hunting community has. And one thing I see, and, and it drives me crazy, is that as hunters, there's this fractured group that there's you know, uh, or, and even and gun owners, for example, where like, oh, well, you know, and, and we see this in Canada, like, you know, gun handguns are under threat here in Canada, right? Well, I don't have a handgun anyway, so I don't really care. It's like people are, they don't have that uh, mentality. Well, yeah, they came for the handgun, but what's next? Like, mm -hmm. and, um, and same thing with hunters, right? We see this and, and I'm sure you see it through your platforms and, you know, people are like, oh, you shouldn't be hunting. And and these are hunters. It's one thing for an anti-hunter, even a non-hunter, but hunters like, well, you shouldn't have been hunting grizzly bear anyway, mm -hmm. or, you know, you shouldn't be able to hunt uh, that with archery or a crossbow or whatever. You know, everyone has their sort of uh, niche and, and there's way, you know, we have to, we have to look at this as a community. And I think that's where we've fallen short in the hunting and gun world is that we just don't have a community of people that are there's so much so many people pitted against it with the grizzly bear when they took it away in canada um people went oh well you know there's only five thousand tags or whatever that british columbians that's only five percent so who cares it's just grizzly bears right mm -hmm. and, and now they're after other things so you know so i guess how do we be do a better job and you know and, and i look to someone like you yourself christy because you're a leader in our space how can we unite that that groundswell of people that are out there that you know they 
but we can never get on the same page. And that drives me insane we, that we don't. It's just this goes and that goes and people are just, yeah, whatever. I, you know, I don't think there's an easy answer for that. I, I think it's, it goes down to if you're a hunter and you buy a hunting license or a tag or you enjoy shooting sports, uh, you should be involved. And we owe it to the wildlife and wild places that we venture into and those those things that we enjoy doing that that we are involved in the politics of it. Um, and it, it is really sad. Also, in Canada, you guys are seeing um, your government negotiate with your with the Native Americans of Canada. Um, a lot of your hunting rights based on their desire to extrapolate um fossil fuels and have rights to um, resources that, that the state, um, or I should say the country wants, and they're willing to sign away the rights of the citizen and to be able to hunt in order to, to get their own personal gain. And so um, that that's tough when you're battling a government that's serving its own interest and not the interest of the people necessarily. It's it's a really tough fight. And that's it goes back to limiting government and having great elected officials and being involved in the political process. And a lot of people don't want to bother with getting involved in politics because it's not um, their wheelhouse or but there's a place for everyone to be involved in politics you just have to figure out where yours is yeah well said and you know interesting that you're you're obviously super knowledgeable about what's going up here in Canada and you know that's the thing too with uh, you talked about um, you know what's going on with First Nations and government giving things away based on has nothing to do with reconciliation or you know what the first trying to make things right with first nations it has to do with uh, resource extraction and and a whole bunch of other things and science-based wildlife management is nowhere in that it's mix. not in That's the conversation the anywhere it's at all. unbelievable yeah, it's unbelievable, and and that's that's what just is so frustrating. It's really when hard when this. your government is self serving, and the United States is no better. I mean, I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not going to shine a bright light on our government either. Um, it is really tough when they're self serving um, and they're not looking at um, the overall picture. I mean, we're dealing with it with our oil right now and um, energy issues, which is causing massive crises across. Uh, the country that are completely avoidable. Um, so, you know, there's no easy answer to any of this. It's just that all of us have a personal uh, stake in the outcomes of these decisions that are made um, for us by our, by our respective governments. Oh, we saw it this morning that Kyle got uh, kind of alluded to. Uh, our government shut down debate on Bill C-21, which is uh, the act regarding firearms and amendments, in less than three hours. They, they said no more, no debates, and so they can't even be thrown back and forth in the House. And it just came out that uh, the RCMP commissioner, and quote, tried to jeopardize mass murder investigation to advance Trudeau's gun control ep- efforts, admits it. So how is that what's best for for the country when you're making personal agendas and personal battles. So yeah, it's, it's screwed everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's a tough time in our, in our, uh, in our world right now. Um, it's not easy and it's not getting easier. Um, and they're trying to normalize things that aren't normal and it's just degrading our um, economy, our culture. And there's a massive shift and, and we have to learn to really lockstep 
and say, no, this is this is what's right. This is what's ethical. This is what follows science-based management philosophies. This is what's best for our trees and our forests and our water, sustainable resources, renewable resources, um, and, and truly uh, teach what it is to be a steward of, of wild, wild places. Yeah, well said. So let's jump on that uh, that train for a little bit. Talk a little bit about science-based wildlife management, North American wildlife model. Um, so you talked about, let's talk about Oregon specifically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've looked at some of the funding models. And one thing in British Columbia that we get run over on the bus every day by is we're severely underfunded. We look at jurisdictions like Oregon, Wyoming. They're killing us in per capita spending on wildlife management. British Columbia is abysmal when it comes to that. They and, don't um, have the populations no, either. I mean, Oregon has four and a half million people in the state of Oregon alone. I mean, what is the population of BC? I don't know if it even comes close to that. It's it's similar, but the issue, if you even if you break it down on a per capita basis, we're not even close. And the thing is, is we are in a serious biodiversity hotspot. It it doesn't get any better for wildlife than BC in in theory. Like there's lots of great jurisdictions, but British Columbia is good, but there's just no money here for it. And it just wildlife does not pay its way, and it's not. And we don't have a Pittman Robertson. We don't have we don't have uh, any of that. We have no matches as a general rule. So we're we're severely underfunded. So that's why I want to talk about Oregon. So the, the money. There's more money in Oregon than there is here in BC, but yet the younger populations are low. Is it because of predator management? What is some of the core issues in Oregon that you've seen? Well, predator management is a huge issue. Um, I mean, obviously, um, our, our, our predator season for spring black bears um, is a draw in most units. Um, it's difficult to draw spot and stock only. You're not allowed to use hounds. They banned using hounds. They banned using uh, bait. And so I, I don't know. I mean, black bears are the most difficult animal to judge um, for age, size, maturity. Um, and, you know, people say, well, you're baiting a bear and it's so easy to just go shoot a bear. Well, it might be easy to go harvest a young bear off a of bait. It's very difficult to harvest a big mature age appropriate bear off a off a bait and and they are a very challenging hunt and very challenging target but by using um, take methods like baiting it allows you to selectively harvest and harvest the right animals and so i think you know oregon's bear population is so out of control um, that you have a spring season and a fall season in the units where they allow spring season, a sow bear can be taken even with cubs as long as they're at least a year old. So they have such a population explosion of predators that you know you can harvest a sow bear with yearling cubs at her side um, and basically leave her cubs you know the, to self-sustain themselves at as little of a year old, which is a crazy management practice that I don't know any other state that really allows. Um, I'm not either for nor against it. Hey, the bears are out of control in population. And if that's how Oregon's going to manage them, then that's whatever. Um, by diminishing the resources that hunters have as tools to selectively harvest really affects uh, the age class that's taken. The other main issue is the mountain lions. So in, on my farm in particular, I had 60 acres 
um, 10 minutes out of town. I was on the edge of a very kind of populated community. Um, there was over 500 homes that adjoined my ranch. Like I said, I only had 60 acres. It wasn't huge, but I adjoined some public land and some bigger ranches. Um, I had five mule deer killed on my farm in a two and a half year span within a hundred yards of my home by mountain lions. So the predation problem wow. is very significant. There's no real um, feasible way to hunt them because you can't use dogs. Um, so mountain lions are extremely nocturnal. They're very, very elusive. Um, to combat that, fish and game has done dumb things like, oh, well, I wouldn't say they're dumb, but it's just not effective. If you see a mountain lion and you have two tags, if they're in a family unit, you can shoot more than one as long as the young don't have spots. So let's say you see a, li a female lion with um, a cub or two, you could selectively harvest both two of the three if you had two tags in your pocket. So, you know, they're begging for management uh, to be done in really non-traditional ways, but they're not effective anyway, because how often are you seeing um, these big cats. I lived at my home and never saw any of the uh, mountain lions that killed the deer on my ranch. And to be honest with you, I never got a trail camera photo of them. I saw lion tracks um, and never got a trail camera photo. Um, they actually were killing dogs in my neighborhood and my neighborhood would have these neighborhood watch signs of a mountain lion spotted, keep your dogs indoors or on leash when they're outside. And um, it was like a, a big situation. But what that's done to our deer populations, for example, where I moved into my place, I had half a dozen young bucks every um, every fall that would winter at my house and um, all ages. And when this mountain lion in particular um, figured out where my, because I added water source and I added some habitat for these deer. Once this lion or these lions um, figured out the movement of the deer through my property, it was just a straight slaughter for them. Um, and they would wait for the deer to water and they would kill them at water or they would wait for them to walk by um, a mineral station and they'd slaughter them over my minerals. And so these lions got very, very efficient at hunting and killing in my yard, literally in my yard. Um, and I, there's, they're going in in Oregon and they're hiring um, professional um I guess, predator management teams where they have their own hounds and they're paying these people hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars to go in and slaughter uh, mountain lions, which they need to be taken. However, they're removing the opportunity for a hunter like myself to actually pay the state for the opportunity to selectively harvest these animals over dogs harvest the meat, take the trophy home. Um, and a lot of people say, well, you can't eat mountain lion. Well, mountain lion is fantastic eating. Um, so they're they're doing things and, and they're doing it under the radar of of anti-hunters. So, you know, if if anti-hunters think that that mountain lion hunting is being shut down in a state like Oregon, they're not protesting it. So when they have massive problems and massive depredation problems in units like the Steens, um, they go in and they hire these government people uh, people that under the radar take these animals out of the population, they kill them, and they're basically wasted. Um, and it, it's a complete disservice to the animal and the opportunity of a hunter to fulfill the model. Yep. Again, it's like looking in a mirror. Uh, we, what was it, Kyle, three years ago, four years ago, Haida Gwaii, the government spent yeah. almost $6 million 
to bring in New Zealand sharpshooters in helicopters to shoot deer instead of just opening up a little bit more, a little bit. It's it's ridiculous. And about about the lions, friend of mine, I'm in the middle of BC, so fairly rural, but not, not overly. And she lives 15 minutes west of me on five acres. And I got a call at about eight o'clock in the morning saying my miniature horse is missing can you come help? We think something got it because I do a lot of predator control and found it along the a shared fence line and it was partially buried. And I said, okay, yeah. this is a, this is a mountain lion. And they put a trail camera on it. And within 20 minutes of that trail camera being activated, they were getting pictures of this cat on it. And it, it, uh, it was, it was huge. And this is in, uh, an area where, where kids go to school, they take the school buses and there's, there's constantly lions in this little corridor and we're dealing with wolves here. Well, you have that in BC, um, oh, yeah. uh, just outside of your guys's park there, uh, by Invermere. Um, yep. you guys have a school and there's a school and it's got a chain link fence around the whole school and the wolves literally mm-hmm. are running that river yep. bottom within a hundred yards of the school. And they're just, depredating all of the deer you're a lot of your sheep are now living on golf courses in town because that's the only place Mm -hmm. they can find safety your elk are in town on golf courses again for safety and they're i mean it's crazy how effective that hunting wolves have become absolutely unreal absolutely i found a little uh graphic that we put together a few years ago talking about uh the funding that we, we put into wildlife here so Let's look at Washington State. They give roughly $21.67 per person to wildlife. Montana, $69.34. Idaho, $64.87. BC, $7.36. And that works out to $36 a square kilometer when Idaho is 488, Oregon's 701, Washington's 831. So we're vastly underfunded here. And we know why wildlife's not a priority. It's it's uh, unless you're voting on it. So, Christy, uh, you, you talked about um, you know these you know the government making these decisions to restrict predator hunting, and and then you know we look at states now, Washington with the the spring bear. Um, you know, in California, they keep pushing. You know, and fortunately, hunters have pushed back. But you know, I what what is the logic there like it's one thing if like okay we're just gonna let nature take its course but then they go in and they're having to manage it anyway it just it just i don't understand the logic there that that this is happening and like you said you know they're paying people to to remove black bears in in oregon right it's just mountain lions primarily yeah oh sorry mountain lions the the issue is is people are like well let's let's let nature take its course okay so imagine in bc at large prior to man you guys have very mountainous, very rugged terrain. The snowfall gets very deep. So imagine a wolf pack running in the mountains that is trudging through three or four feet of snow. The amount of energy that it takes them to travel a mile is very great. Um, the amount of range that they can uh travel in a day is limited by their energy resources. And so that terrain, that snow would would limit their energy resources and their effectiveness is at killing and hunting. 
insert man, we have logging roads everywhere, skid roads everywhere, mining roads everywhere. They're maintained by oil and gas. They're maintained by the lumber industry. They're maintained by access to private property all winter long. These wolves use roads the way we do to drive and they run them like a freeway. There is no um, energy barriers for them. They're not overcoming hardship the way they used to. So when people say we need to let them do their thing and be wild, well, that only works if it's in a place that's truly wild. Once man inserts himself and they change the effectiveness that this animal can hunt and move and navigate a mountain, it changes the dynamic of the predator-prey relationship. And once we do that, which we've done virtually every landscape, um, we have to we have to be a part of the management process. Yeah, well said for sure, and and we see it, and it's interesting. You know, they they say, well, we'll prove it, prove that this works, and we have proved it in BC. Here, we've got some caribou on the verge of extirpation. Well, in the south, we know what happened, but in the north as well, and uh, we've seen like literally uh, significant increases in caribou after wolf management mm-hmm. in in those jurisdictions. So the science does support it. It's not just a theory; it's actually proven, right? So. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Pretty frustrating to to see that there's an argument against it. Uh, well, they, okay, so, they argue the science isn't good. It that's the worst part about it. It's well, let's make a science to fit an agenda, but we can. Well, we can and that's what, when you talk about quote unquote the science. What you really have to do is follow the checkbook. Who's funding it? Um, where is the money mm-hmm. coming from? And there's, it's really difficult for a lot of studies to not have a slant. The only thing that the North American model is is irrefutable is that our numbers are increased. Deer numbers, turkey numbers, elk numbers, moose numbers. Our, our wildlife numbers are stronger now than they've ever been because of this North American model of wildlife conservation. They can't argue the statistical number that how the landscape of wildlife has changed since the late 1930s compared to today. Um, the proof is out there. It's, it's irrefutable. Well, and that's the challenge that we're faced with. So one of the narratives that we're hearing here is, you know, we always argue the North American model, blah, 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 blah. Same thing. We've always stayed the course. Um, now we're, we're actually hearing that people don't support that model um, and that, it should be based on emotion that, that they, it's, it's, we always point to that. Right. And like, well, this works. And, but actually people are now um, questioning the model. And that's pretty scary when we think like, this is such a fundamental um, model. It's worked so well. And it, like you said, we've, we've got proof of it and pick a species. It, it goes on and on and on and on. When you apply those model, that model to that species, it works, it changes things. And the problem is, is now like the big narrative here that we're hearing all the time is they want to manage based on emotion. What's what's ethically right, not what's best for science. Um, and we all know where that goes, right? Yeah, it goes to deteriorating our rights and in the right. Well, they want to develop animal personhood, um, which is terrifying. In, um, in the U.S., actually, they just lost a, 
a case, a big case on that regarding some elephants and um, where there was a lawsuit that was trying to give these elephants animal personhood. And um, that's the next big thing that's really scary that a lot of these groups are trying to do is, you know, imagine a law case, bald eagle versus United States government. I mean, they're trying to give animals personhood. And that is the next scary, crazy thing that is going to start, we're going to start seeing. And, and that that was just shot down in the U.S. this week, which is a huge win um, for for everyone and including the animals, because uh, to have a group uh, being the voice of an animal that literally <laughs> does not have their own voice is is going to lead us down a very horrible path. Yeah, it's it's definitely terrifying when you think about it. Um, okay, let's segue a little bit here. Let's talk a little bit about hunting. We've talked a little bit about yeah politics and and all that sort of stuff, and that w- we could talk more and more on that. We let's talk just about talk until we smash our faces against the wall because that's what it feels like most of the time, right? Like, ah, uh, this is so simple. Okay, I get everybody to make this so hard. <laughs> I, I guess that's you know that's one thing I, I'll challenge you and Steve too is you know we've talked about this and the issue you know, is there something that we can do differently? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I had a discussion with um, Renee Thornton from Women Hunt from Wild Sheep Foundation, and she was just saying to us is that, you know, she was talking to Gray Thornton about this and that, you know, if we could just get on the same page, if, if we could bring somebody, somebody could bring us all together and get all our organizations and all hunters, and we're all singing, like you said, lockstep, you know, that was, a, you used that word several times earlier, um, you know, things would definitely be different if we actually all spoke from the same uh, notes and we all had the same approach and we all support each other the way we need to do it. So, you know, is there a different, and, and I know you do a great job, you know, you, you do a great job of bringing people together and your messaging is very sound, yet we're still such a fractured group. So I, I guess that's a, cha- I, I challenge you guys, how can, what can we do differently to, to sort of ch- stem the tide of, you know, ha- <laughs> letting groups speak for eagles or whatever, like this animal personhood or personal am- animalhood or whatever it is. So, yeah. It's a tough one. You, you know that I battle daily with it. And I, you, you touched on it earlier where we need to stop bashing somebody who's a crossbow hunter if you're an archery hunter. If somebody is a black powder rifle shooter versus a long distance shooter, we, we all want the same thing. And that's abundant wildlife that keeps prospering on the landscape and a habitat that continues to thrive for our grandkids. We need to, to throw out the, uh, the egos, right? And uh, what I do is better than you do. And hell, y- y- you see it all the time. People bash the newest caliber uh, exclusive, right? right? now, Right now, the target is the 6.5 Creedmoor. Everybody knows there's memes everywhere about that. And why? because they marketed it correctly. It's, it's not because it, it's not a capable round or the person behind it doesn't know what they're doing. It's, it, it becomes a, a trend. You know what I mean? It's we're, we're seeing it uh, all over British Columbia as well with uh, unfortunately there was a, a ton of sheep that were shot last year due to them being either short or underage, why is that? We we had a, a chat with a couple of people saying, well, is it for the gram, right? And again, that goes back to ego. And if, if we could go back to what 
30 years ago, it was commonplace to see granddad driving down the road with a deer on the hood of their car. And instead of getting the RCMP or whatever police district called on them, you got a high five and you got help loading it if need be. Right. You know what I mean? Now it's, it's, it's almost woke to judge it. I don't know. I could, I could keep going. I could keep going about it. And <laughs> you know me well enough to know that I'll keep ranting Kyle. So I don't know. It's uh it's, it's a tough one to, to bridge. And the minute we can all come together, uh, politicians have said it many, many times. If all hunters got on the same page and used that voice collectively, we'd, we'd kick ass. We really, truly would. So it's just finding that little, that little nugget of what we can all get around. And I, I think what it's going to be is we've talked about it. Something's going to have to be taken away that makes them go, oh shit, I didn't think they were going to do that. Right. It's, is it going to be rifles here in Canada? Because two years ago, I wrote an article for a magazine when they put in that uh, proposed banning on what they called assault rifles. And everybody went, well, it's just assault rifles. That was the name of the article too. And I said, no, 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 it's not. They're going to come for more because we're not all banding together. And Kyle touched on it with the grizzly hunt. Well, I don't hunt grizzlies. And here we are two years later, they're coming for more. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to take some some sort of shake up like that. Yeah, where... they're coming for your moose quotas now. Exactly. They did yeah. it They did it in, in Region 7B. Yeah. Right? They, they yanked the moose. But what have we heard here? Well, I don't hunt up there anyway. So yeah, it's scary. It, it's gonna it's gonna take something like that where people are gonna go, uh oh. So, oh, well. <laughs> over to you, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, you look like you're deep in thought there, Christy. I just it's just so it's just so hard. It's so frustrating, and um, you know you feel powerless, which is sad, but unfortunately, all of us have to harness our own individual power instead of feeling powerless. We have to accumulate strength and and continue the fight. I think that's the key takeaway, right, is, you know, you do such a great job on your platform and through your channels. And I think we each have to take that a personal responsibility and, you know, do our, you know, engage with the government, stand up for what we believe in, but also encourage our, our fellow, you know, gun owners and hunters and and friends and educate our friends too, right? Like, you, you, and I, you and I know if you sit down and have dinner with somebody or you share some wild meat with somebody, they get it. And they're like, oh, you're not so bad. You're not the big bad hunter that I thought you were. Um, but, you know, and if all of us did that all the time, it would never be an issue. The problem is, is lots of people don't do it. And and I, I could do better, too. I'm not saying that um, I'm setting the example for what it should be. But I think we could do a better job of that outreach. But also as hunters like all of us have to do our part, not just you and Steve and I, and, and there's lots doing it, but more need to do it, I think. So, yeah. Okay. Let's talk hunting. <laughs> um, so, okay. So now you, you, you've kind of done it all. You've been to Africa, uh, recently Hawaii, Axis deer, now your favorite, uh, wild meat. Uh, what, what, what is a highlight? What is your go-to hunt? Like what is the most memorable hunt that you have ever been on period? hands down. Oh, well, so for me, I don't think anything beats, uh, archery elk hunting. So, I mean, I have a really tough time. It's a very nostalgic hunt for me. I love calling elk. 
Um, and uh, that's just like, if I had to sum up all of my greatest moments in the woods, uh, they tend to lead back to elk hunting. Awesome. Oh, and Oregon's solid, right? For they, they have solid elk uh opportunity right yeah they have they have a great elk population oregon's <laughs> oregon um you yeah, so one of the reasons i moved out of oregon is they um have moved their archery seasons which used to have an abundance of kind of general over-the-counter areas for archery where you could go and hunt um annually in kind of a roughly close proximity to where you live to last year, they made almost the entire state a draw and they did it for elk and, and deer. Like for me to hunt archery elk where I used to live is now a three-year wait uh, for preference points and to rifle hunt that same unit is eight plus years. Um, so it just wasn't, I mean, why would you live in a state that you can hunt feasibly every three to eight years, depending on your weapon of choice? Um, so um you know, <laughs> Oregon has great elk numbers. Yes, uh, Oregon's hunting opportunities are are becoming more challenging. So now, with you said with Wyoming, you're going to get drawn as a non-resident this year, and then next year you'll be able to. Do you draw? Can you draw every year in Wyoming? Or? Yeah, there's over 50 units that you can hunt with a general tag in Wyoming as a resident annually. So that's you know one of the main reasons that my husband and I chose to move here. Um, it's freedom in a loving state and, um, you know, lots of opportunity for residents. Awesome. Because there's cool. not a lot of so people here. I mean, the, the state population's like a half a million people. So there's, there's not a lot of humans here either. There's more antelope here than there are people. Yeah. Which is pretty cool, right? Like when you go antelope hunting, where do you go? You go to Wyoming, right? Like that's, it's such a great state for that. And I drew an Oregon antelope tag this year and it took me 16 years to get the tag. Wow. Wow. So, That's crazy. Yeah. It just, yeah. it goes a lot to agency management and management practices as well. So mismanagement. Yeah. So have you thought of, you know, you, you still, you do a lot on the, you know, getting very involved, very vocal. Have you ever thought about getting more involved, like running for, for state, doing stuff like that, stepping up more or not really? Heavens no. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, I want nothing to do with that. Um, uh, no, I don't. I have no political aspirations other than just being um, active and uh, representing um, my values to the people that are elected to do the job, which is to represent us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well said. So, okay, this fall you got elk and mule deer. What else is on the agenda? Uh, so, antelope in Oregon. Uh, my husband and I, I drew an archery elk tag in Oregon, which is a three-year draw. Um, don't know that we're going to go back there and hunt elk. Um, I drew Wyoming elk. I drew Wyoming deer. I drew Oregon deer. My dad had 16 years worth of points that we shared and were able to draw a tag. Again, just such limited um, opportunities to hunt there. And, you know, the sad thing with like Oregon with deer is that there's not like a unit where you're like, oh, if I put in for unit 12, which is just a fake number, uh, if I put in for unit 12, you're going to see, you know, trophy quality deer, high age class. Oregon doesn't have like one specific unit um, where you can find that. It's so poorly managed that you could potentially find a big deer in 
almost any unit potentially, uh, but there's not one unit that really is a standout. Like a lot of states have, you know, kind of those standout areas that are known for, you know, great opportunity to harvest an older, older class animal. And um, so we did draw, we drew, you know, we put in together as a party and, and drew deer. Um, and then I'll hunt Kansas for whitetail, Missouri for whitetail, um, maybe Texas for Audad. Um, so, you know, got a, got a pretty awesome season. I'm going to do archery elk in Colorado. Um, we'll see what happens beyond that. It's a lot of hunting. <laughs> that sounds pretty busy actually. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So is there, is there kind of a bucket list to hunt? Like you've done Africa, you've hunted sheep, you've, I think goat, yeah, goat. You've, so is there something, something you're, you have an itch to do or something you really like, obviously you talked about, you love elk, but, uh, Anything that stands out that you really want to go do? Oh, I have a million things that I want to do. <laughs> that's that's a really tough one. Um, so I have harvested a moose. I would love to get uh, have the opportunity at a, a, a monster moose. I mean, with a bow, a monster moose would be awesome. Uh, brown bear is kind of on my short list right now in Alaska. Um, next year, I'll be leopard hunting in Namibia. Um and so it's interesting. I'm going to an area in Namibia that was formerly, it's low fence, no fence area that was formerly only for photo safaris. And so for the last, you know, I don't know, recent number of years, 10 plus years, it's been uh, sustaining the wildlife through photo safari. And basically um, that was uh, not a sustainable financial model. And the other issue they were having is wildlife management issues. And so that area was opened up last year to sustainable wildlife management practices, which include hunting. Um, and so I get to go and hunt leopard in an area next year that hasn't been hunted apart from, you know, the last 12 months, respectively. I think they've taken uh, two or three cats out of the area, um, leopards out of the area. So that'll be, that'll be a really neat experience, a true wild experience. And then, you know, we'll be able to see um, on the ground, you know, what lack of hunting has done and kind of tell on that story. Um, but the main issue with lack of hunting over there is there's no funding for management. And so you end up seeing, uh, not only local populations with humans that suffer because they don't get the meat um, coming into their communities or their villages um, as a resource, but also the wildlife numbers suffer through mismanagement or lack of management at all. And then, you know, no funding to combat anti-poaching efforts. So um, and I'm kind of interested. I, I'm thankful that some of these um, countries or regions are, are waking up and kind of realizing that hunting is a vital part of management around the globe and not just, um, you know, not just here. So uh, I'm going to do that next year. That's, that's a really, um, I think it's gonna be a powerful uh, story. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got uh, fan and sheep is on the short list as well. So I'd like to be going to the Yukon. I have got one kind of reserved for 2025 for fan and ram. So uh you guys as residents get to hunt stone sheep for 50 bucks. It's not quite that cheap for Americans. So I'm going to go uh, look for a fan and ram in 2024. Well, it's, it's actually quite a bit more for us to go. I think, was it 60 bucks oh, or 80? Oh okay. yeah. 60 or $80. <laughs> I think yeah, it's like 60. Uh, stone sheep <laughs> in the U S now is pushing $70,000. Uh, it's crazy. I seen a cancellation hunt with uh, the Shoddy River in BC, and it was sixty thousand US. What on a cancellation hunt? Yeah. It's like wow, yeah. that's um, phenomenal. So, 
Yeah, no, it's it's not uh, not for the faint of heart for sure. Um, and we don't, I don't take it for granted. I think it's a pretty big privilege that we get to do that. And, uh, but that said, um, that's sixty Canadians, so that's like thirty US almost. <laughs> it's. I don't think so. Have you seen inflation <laughs> in the United States? <laughs> We're like nine percent is what they're publishing, and you know it's worse than that. Yeah, it's not good here either. Yeah, yeah same thing. Okay, so you talked about Africa a little bit. Have you done a podcast on hunting in Africa? And not about the hunt itself, but the benefits of hunting in Africa. Have you had that? Because that's such an important discussion, and you touched on all the, the big points, but you know, hunting in Africa is such a nuanced discussion. And it'd be, it's very appropriate for a podcast. Have you ever done anything on that? Talked about it? You know, when I was in uh, South Africa last time, we had every intention of doing that. And we just kind of ran out of time. I, I'm producing, I've produced a series of episodes that um, kind of speak to that. Not so much a podcast format. So like if you were to watch my Kudu episode, which I'm re-airing in a couple of weeks, um, it talks about sustainable harvest and it shows you know, the old kudu bull that I took um, wouldn't have survived their winter. It was very thin, very poor. His horn had broken half from fighting. Um, and their dry season is incredibly hard on those old bulls, especially kudu are really, um, I would tend to say, on the frail side um, of ungulates over there. Um, and so the bull I harvested, um, it was really cool. We were privileged with um, having... Um, Packers be able to come in and this group of men literally took every piece of the animal apart from the insides of its stomach. Um, and we did some cool time lapses of them processing and packing off the entire animal. And I mean, there was not an ounce of that animal that was wasted um, in the, that meat. You know, we showed it kind of field to fork and we took the meat or some of the meat um, to a local orphanages um, because there's a pretty significant uh, population of kids there that are orphans um, in part due to the HIV um an AIDS pandemic uh, that they have in a lot of those countries where the kids are, you know, basically orphaned at very young ages um, because of that disease or that series of diseases. So, um, uh, and there's a lot of fatherlessness in homes there. So um, we, we did that whole field to fork story. Um, and I've got a whole, you know, series of episodes that is coming out in part, you know, kind of sharing that information. Uh, that's awesome. I look forward to checking that out for sure because that's uh, that's such an important uh, message that people just totally, you know, what makes the headlines in the U.S. is Cecil, right? It's you know, and, and the the real story about conservation and talking to you know local. It's interesting that I'm seeing now in the U.K. that Ricky Gervais was getting into some hot water because it's like um, you know, there's traditional hunting in um, Africa and indigenous peoples. And they're saying, well, this is how we we do it. And then, you know, Ricky was beating up on hunting in Africa, right? And they're saying, you know, it's basically discriminating against First Nations rights and, and that sort of thing. So it was interesting to see that develop. But uh, so, I think Christy, on the, that... I think some of the misconceptions with countries like South Africa, for example, is people think that everywhere is like the U.S. and Canada, where there's wildlife, wild places, wild spaces that you hold as common public land. Um, people make that mistake in thinking that the privilege that we have here is a universal privilege. It's not. 
Um, in a lot of countries like South Africa, almost if not all the land is privately held. Um, and so the wildlife that is on those lands um, in that country in particular is often high fenced. And the, those wild animals actually, for the most part, exist because they are bred um, by people that want to see the continuation of that particular population of animal. And they provide the habitat and the, the resources for those animals to survive at, privately. Um, it's not a government program. It's not government dollars. It's not coming from taxpayers. It's a very private funded um, privilege. And so people here don't understand that. And they think, well, why can't people go hunt their own animals? Well, because there's no public land um, in that particular country. And um, those animals are owned privately by someone else. And if it weren't for private resource stewardship with wildlife and wild places there, they wouldn't exist at all. Um, so it's just because people aren't obviously haven't necessarily vi visited a lot of these places um, and not there are wild places still in the continent of Africa. Don't get me wrong. There are very wild places that are self-sustaining. And then there's a lot of places that by and large are not self-sustaining and they're sustained by people that really care for wildlife. And that would be hunters. Yeah, for sure. Now, it's interesting you said in Namibia, because, you know, that was always the age old thing. It's like, well, how do we fund fund wildlife management? How do we how do we make sure that those animals are still there? Because a big part of these funding mechanisms is somebody coming in and spending X amount of dollars on a certain hunt uh, and supporting those communities. And that meat stays in the community. But so you talked about the uh, the photo safari. Um, is that because that was always the argument that was, oh, no, this is this is the funding model that does work for it. So that there's a case where it's is that pretty common? I, I, I'm not very knowledgeable on that aspect of it. Yeah, the revenue stream that comes from photo safaris is not a sustainable wildlife management funding tool. Um, it, it just does not create enough cash revenue. People going to take photos of animals don't pay the same amount of money that people that go to sustainably harvest animals are paying. And there's not the the whole economic and cultural benefit from a photo taken. Um, when you harvest an animal by age, you know, for example, like the kudu I took was very old. It would not have lived through the winter. It would have perished. So that animal, if it weren't for hunting, would have decomposed on the mountainside, benefiting not benefiting at all the community versus having selective hunting come in, taking an old animal where the entire animal is used and it's nourishing its population um, and creating a critical revenue resource for um, sustainable harvesting and practices that lead to good management. And it's just a whole cycle. Um, and a, and a taking a photograph just doesn't do that. Yeah, well said for sure. You can't eat yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, you can't. Can you? <laughs> nope. Well, and it doesn't address all these other issues, right? Like problem wildlife, uh, managing that, um, protecting your community, uh, saving your efforts, your, your crops. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So there's it just goes on and on and on. The list goes on and on and on. Yet, you know, the stuff that makes the headlines is Cecil the lion. Yeah. Like the, 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 that story is never told. I, mean, I guess it it's just not sexy to tell that Cecil story. The lion was, was legally harvested. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, Hey, we've taken almost an hour of your time. Um, let's talk about the show. What are, what do people have to look forward to? Um, what's coming up? What's on, 
uh, you talked about the new mini series of uh, hunting in Africa. What's new? What's new coming out of your camp in the in the next little while? I'm working with Wild TV right now to get my show airing in Canada. So awesome! I okay. am really excited about that. So hopefully, at some point soon, um, we'll be airing in Canada on Wild TV, and um, that's something we, I've been working on for a long time. It is. A little bit of an effort because we have to re-edit my digital format and uh, extend the format length uh, to fit the needs of the network. So we're working on that diligently to bring Pursue the Wild to Wild TV. So that's coming soon. Um, I do have a new podcast. It's the Wild and Uncut podcast. So with our with my podcast, what I try to do is film on location. So if I'm at a trade show or a shooting event, a sporting event, or following like a hunt, um, just to sit down and talk about it. Um, doing a lot of um, fun stuff, like I was at the NRA annual meetings uh, two weeks ago, and I filmed, uh, they have a concealed carry fashion show. So I filmed that, and I had all the people, when they come off the runway, walk over and talk about the product they're showcasing. And so um, just doing tons of fun stuff for people to tune into and listen, um, whether it be about conservation, hunt reports or follow-ups, uh, great gear. And it's been a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, very cool. Yeah. I was st- stoked when that came out and, uh, yeah, such uh, such a cool platform and such a great extension of the show, right? Like it, you know, you, yeah, the show's great and it's, it's easy to consume and stuff, but for those longer conversations or for, you know, trying to get a better understanding the podcast is always such a great great platform for that so yeah very cool um so let's just one last thing before we go let's talk about conservation where does this drive for you know protecting your uh your second amendment rights um for protecting wildlife the north american wildlife management model where does that drive come from where did where did was that something you've had as a little kid um was it raised something instilled by you by your parents where did that come from you know i don't know i've always been fascinated with culture so when i was a little kid i was playing well i've always been on mules in the backcountry with my dad like always it's just part of what we've done but when i was a little kid i was playing and i found um some indian arrowheads and some artifacts so i became really obsessed with cultures and studying cultures and I just loved being outside and, and hunting. And um, so it, it was it was very important for me to become a steward of the land um, and to be involved in being the best caretaker I could. And so I've just been doing this my whole um, adult life. So I started with Safari Club International, working with them in my 20s. And um, one of the reasons, you know, I work with conservation groups is because they do great things. You know, SCI is apart from the National Rifle Association here in the U.S., is the only nonprofit conservation group that has um, lobbyists in Washington, D.C., working on behalf of the hunter. So, um, like, that is really important to me is I should be a part of these organizations because um, they're they're looking out for us. And, and when we lockstep by joining an organization, um, we are collecting our voice, and that has power. When you, when you take an organization that has 5 million members like NRA or, you know, 250,000 members or 400,000 members, then you really become a collective power. And so, um, and your opinions uh, as part of, you know, the 
the group that you work with matters. And so I, I think that's where it started with me is that I just wanted to have my voice heard. And I actually went with SCI to Washington, D.C. and lobbied in um, with them uh, with some issues that were on the agenda at that time. Polar bear importation was one of them, uh, which we obviously lost uh, the battle on that one here in the U.S. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're trying, we're in the good fight and, um, you know, we're, it's, it's what, it's all we have is to, to join these groups and, and be involved. Very exciting. Well, thank you, Christy. Thank you for all you do to, to look after all those things that are important to most of us that listen to these type of podcasts. And, uh, we're just grateful for the messaging you put out there and, and it was fun today to, you know, sit down and talk about some of these issues. Lots of times, you know, and you're super knowledgeable on it. So it was, it was fun to hit on all these points and get your perspective on them. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you guys having me on and, and hopefully somebody's inspired to get involved that may be sitting on the fence thinking, well, it doesn't affect me or what can I do? We all have a voice. We all have a purpose and uh, we all need to be involved. Exactly. Well said.